Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm your host, AJ. And I am your co-host, Gavin. 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 <laughs> All right, man. It's It's been too long. It's been too long. And I, yes. I want to apologize to our 100-something loyal listeners out there because this was not intended, but we've just both had a lot going on. Uh, I started a new job. Yay me. Go me. So I am working full-time again, so that's been wonderful. And... Uh, before the job, when I got hired, I, I came down to L.A. for a last weekend to train with uh, Sugarfoot, hang out with Gavin, train with our other teammate, Herman. Uh, we did all sorts of fun stuff. And the funny part is we always say that we're going to record when I come down there, and we haven't yet. But no. we're the reason – it's not like we're just sitting around doing nothing. We were go, go, go the entire time. And, in fact, we watched only one movie at home really for this – uh, podcast we've been trying to record for a few weeks now and even then we had to split it up into two viewings and when we did watch it it was like really late at night and really early in the morning otherwise <laughs> we were training every day we were driving around we covered more of LA in one day than I think most people have ever attempted to do uh, so we I just, mean, we, just, go, go just to put this in perspective we were up in we started in Venice uh-huh. went up to Balboa Park back to Venice, down to Long Beach, then to Inglewood, then to Mid-City, a.k.a. New Beverly, Mm -hmm. then back to Long Beach, then along the coast up to Venice. Yes. So for people not familiar with L.A., they may think, well, that's a decent amount of driving. Keep in mind, this was also a Monday, uh, (laughs) so you had your normal commuting traffic, and uh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot to cover. yeah, and if you span out uh, the the stopwatch by t- to twenty four hours, the night before we went from Venice to Arcadia and back mm-hmm. to watch a very special film. And you know what I, I really like about our podcast is like we're teasing the audience, like what are we going to talk about? Well, let's not talk about it yet. But uh, of course, the title of the podcast yes, will have oh, it. So it's like we're talking yeah. about a very special movie, which we're not going to mention yet, but you already saw it. The uh, twist is coming, but <laughs> that's the title. I never thought about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but and don't forget also that day before we not only went to Alhambra to watch that movie, we also walked from your house to Santa Monica Beach, which isn't a, like a huge distance, but it's like an hour's worth of walking round trip. So, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And, you know, we were we we got three training sessions in. Uh, yes. Uh, aside from supplementary training uh, in your living room with some kettlebells and stuff uh, doing it like we usually do. But, yeah. So even then, it's like we came back. I I originally got hired as a part-time position at my current job. They offered me the full-time position two days. I was sitting on your couch when I got a text. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, would you be interested in full-time? I'm like, well, can I work one day? See if it's like – and I liked it. I was like, all right, cool. I can do this. So then it's the, – the person I was replacing, she was leaving in what would be 10 days. She's now gone. And I had to just – usually you get like a month to learn the job. And I got nine days. So uh, – yeah, it was, it was, I was pretty busy. You, you were busy because you work at a performing arts school and you were now getting things going. You're having performances and this and that. Uh, I've just been getting my kind of schedule sorted and yeah. Uh, and so we will be more regular from now on. But also we were going to record a couple days ago and had some technical difficulties yep. as happens. So uh, Gavin is taking one for the team right now and recording in his car in a basement-like setting. Uh, you know what? What better place to record a podcast about action movies than basically on an action movie set in a in a basement in a car? Think uh, think writing wrongs. The car garage fight scene, just a little darker. Okay, so maybe no retreat, no surrender. Three settings, a little bit better because you're not yeah. you're you're partially underground. 
yes, or if I'm not mistaken on the title, because the title has a few titles, like Fatal Contact. Or oh, Fatal Contra- the, the beginning, right? Where he gets like, yeah. kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. Or even the- uh, Martial Law 2 has a parking garage fight sequence with Cynthia Rothrock. Right. Come on. The, the, basically, I'm in every movie set ever. The only the only place that could be more appropriate would be as if I were it, it would be as if, if I were in a warehouse. A warehouse. Yep. A warehouse. Yeah. Maybe the Next roof. Week. The roof of a building. The uh, roof of a building. Yep. These I'll are all places that you can get away with shooting without permits. That's why. <laughs> yes. Like if it's a you big know, enough just, parking just, garage, you just go to like the top level or something where no one's parking. If it's the roof of a building in Hong Kong, you just got to know somebody, you know, that's on the top floor and go up to the roof. Uh, the, these are all classic locations. Warehouses. If, yeah. If if uh, if my friend Josh or Jorge were listening to this, they would know that we they were, we are definitely referencing what we did to shoot. Uh, uh, movies on VHS tape back in the day. We shot one in Hawaii in a, mo- in a parking lot, I think at the Alamoana parking lot or someplace in Waikiki, and then uh, and then at Cal State Long Beach, we shot at the parking lot on a weekend. Well, we in un- two, two yeah. different levels for two different locations. In undergrad, uh, I did film production, and I did, uh, once I got to start like making like my short little films, they were pretty much all martial arts related. First one was shot in my dad's warehouse. Uh <laughs> The next one was shot in an orchard because where I grew up, Central Valley, right? Like there's plenty of orchards, same thing. Uh, Even if like you weren't even a a lot of people aren't even farmers by trade. They just have their property in the country on an orchard and they'll like lease it out to other people use it. So one of my best friends, uh, his parents lived in the country and had a ton of orchard space. And I'm like, cool, we're going to shoot a fight scene in an orchard. Then uh, (laughs) the last one I did that was like a martial arts one was back in my dad's warehouse again. Excellent. <laughs> so I just I, returned. The, I, I, I don't know if you know, uh, playland in New York. No, but it's, it's like a, it's in Rye, New York. It's this, uh, like, I guess playland. It's a, uh, what do you call it? An amusement park. Okay. I shot two movies there. The first time I shot, uh, we forgot to turn on the microphone. Ooh. So that movie became just a trailer. Yeah. We went back and shot and we just like, you know, basically go to where people aren't. And then we would like, uh, like go in the winter months and we would shoot like uh, kidnapping scenes yeah. with my friends, uh, kidnap. I call you an, uh, an idiot for not turning on your mic, but I too did the exact same thing <laughs> for my documentary class. I was, we were, we had one project we were supposed to kind of like, let something organically happen. Cause sometimes as people may or may not know, when you go to shoot a documentary, sometimes you have one thing in mind and then something mm-hmm. else completely different happens. And you have just like, you know, cause that's real life. If something occurs and the entire, uh, feeling of the documentary or the, the trajectory is just shifted. And that's what I was doing on this one particular one. And it was turning out so good. And I realized I didn't have the mic on the entire time because it just started yeah. happening. I just started recording. I was like, go, go, go. And I wasn't using an external mic. I was just using the in-camera mic. And <laughs> yeah. I remember just being so like, oh, you idiot. But yeah. Well, for me, it turned out to be lucky because the dialogue wasn't that great. So we just like, uh, we stole, we ripped some mu- uh, music off of the Rising Sun soundtrack, which I think was Kodo. Nice. Or no, Toto Takemitsu using, I think he used Kodo. Anyway, I'd like to let short, you know. I'm a black belt, but of course you are. <laughs> so we just like cut this thing together and we went back and shot it. Uh, Speaking of uh, re- like, you know, not having audio and redubbing, uh, I sent you that link for that long lost John Leo movie 
that's being re-released, like Ninja in New York. And the best part is they're yes. getting a bunch of martial arts stars to redub it. Like they've got Dom the Dragon Wilson, because that's who posted about it. And yes. I saw he's redubbing John Liu's voice. So pretty much, for those of you who don't know, John Liu is considered uh, one of the uh, the best leg fighters uh, or boot masters, as they say, of Kung Fu uh, cinema, early Kung Fu cinema, 70s. He was uh, Taiwanese. He was a protege of Tan Tao Liang, uh, Taekwondo world champion, another like one of the best kickers, you know, on my list of best kickers. We talked about John Liu too. I think he may have made my list, but uh, a very enigmatic character because there's, you know, some stuff known about him. Uh, and then there's a lot not known about him. Supposedly he beat Chuck Norris in open competition. Uh, he created his own system, Zendokai. He made this whole vanity project uh, called, uh, not Zendokai, sorry, that's Richard Norton's. Uh, Zen Kwon Do, I yeah. think is what it is. Uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah, Zendokai uh, Kai is Richard Norton. So it was uh, either which way. And then he made a whole vanity project about that. Like, I think it was uh, uh, Zen Kwon Do Strikes, uh, which is actually has some phenomenal fight scenes, but it's just the weirdest movie. Apparently his style of martial arts became huge in Europe, but then like he kind of just disappeared. And so around the same time where he disappeared, and I obviously never heard of this movie, apparently he shot a movie in New York uh, mm -hmm. City and now it's like this long lost movie and they've re-edited it. Apparently it was like, it took a lot of work. Yeah, so Zen Kwon Do is his style. I just looked it up. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're releasing it. But the funny part is watching the trailer I'm, and typically his martial arts stuff, even if it wasn't the best choreographed or this or that, was still impressive just because of his skill set. But this definitely looks like they were replicating the Shokazugi ninja style at that time. Not like yeah. even the Taiwanese ninja pictures or the Hong Kong or Taiwanese co-productions. They're going for that straight up Shokazugi feel because that's exactly what it looks like. So I'm sure it'll be a fun movie to watch, but probably martial arts wise. However, I, I don't know. It's We're not getting a whole lot of necessarily clear cut extended sequences from the trailer, but it's still very yeah. interesting. I'm very fascinated by Lost Films. I've talked about that. The fact that like I didn't even know about this. I wonder how this was even discovered, but uh, either which way, excited to see what comes of it. And I'm hoping it gets a screening somewhere, even if it's just a two-day screening at New Beverly, maybe American Cinematheque, Lamley. Let's make Cinemark. it a weekend screening so I can attend. Yes. Because I have this sweet new job. It's full-time, but I get off at 4 p.m. on Fridays, so I could shoot down to L.A. and, you know, I can make a weekend screening. But the, the Monday okay. nights... In fact, I am uh, envious of you, my friend, because tonight yes. you are going to a double screening of two of my favorite movies, uh, L.A. Street Fighters and The Master. Mm. Yep. So, so uh, the new Beverly is doing a whole month of uh, movies shot or shot in L.A. or taking place in L.A. Right. And of course, uh, uh, once a month they do uh, martial art films on a Monday. And this Monday they're doing two films uh, taking place in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, and obviously, L.A. Street Fighters is Jun Chong and uh, Philip Ree uh, and James Liu in there. A great independent shot one from the 80s. And I'd love to see it on the big screen because I'm, I'm assuming their copy is much more visually digestible than the version I have on DVD, which is very grainy. It's hard to tell what's going on because the action is brilliant, but a lot of it's shot at night. However, I have seen clips online of a remastered version, and I don't know if this is individuals that literally just took scenes and redid it themselves, like painstakingly took it like shot by shot, and I, mm -hmm. I don't know, but I would love to see it in its full glory, so you're gonna have to let me know how that is. And then obviously I, I the master is the Choi Hark Jet Li film about Jet Li, uh, uh, going to LA to find his master played by Yuen Wah, 
Uh, and then, unfortunately, they run into the great Jerry, the golden boy, Trimble, as their mm-hmm. protagonist. But also, we've got uh, Dale Jacoby in there. you got a few other uh, local martial arts. And Billy Blanks. Yep. Yeah. I'm, look- I'm looking forward to it. I've only seen The Master once, actually. Actually, no, that's not true. I think I've seen it twice. I've actually had the pleasure of watching. I'm not sure which version you guys are going to have because the, the version I first saw was the Miramax redub from the late 90s. Uh, and I know there was, I believe, a previous dub probably for international markets. But when I was last in Hong Kong two years ago, uh, I was uh, there for my one of my best mate's wedding. And I had I had some homework to do for because I was still in grad school. So there's one afternoon where I'm sitting there typing uh, like a short essay and I just want some background noise. And so I turned on his Netflix. And of course, it's Hong Kong. So they had a ton of the classic 80s action movies. I'm just like, why can't we have this on our Netflix? But yeah. Uh, that being said, they had the master and I watched it in its original Cantonese version. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I think either 88 films or one of those other ones in the UK just re-released it too. Uh, once again, why can't we get these releases in America? But anywho, uh, we have a lot to think- talk about today. And we've run out of time. So thanks everybody yes, for joining us. Thank you us. for listening. Uh, thank you for being patient and we'll see you never. <laughs> Maniacal laugh. But anywho, uh, do you have any questions for me today? Uh, you know what? Uh, in light of uh, who I bumped into this week, I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to recast this actor in somebody, something else. All right. Uh, if there was a recasting that you would like to do, and it better not be Mr. Miyagi or Pat Morita. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we got, some, we got fi- some feedback on that one. From our most loyal listener. And yes. I totally understand uh her position on it. And it was something I hadn't really thought about. So I appreciate that insight. But, uh, and as I said, I wouldn't have had it. I don't think I would have had it any other way, but imagine if that's all I'm saying. Yes. So, uh, so if you were to recast, if there's, if there's been a casting error or some, some kind of casting that could have heightened a movie from a martial arts perspective, what film would that be? And, and what actor would you place? And if you want to pick a movie from, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Uh, Raps top of my head, and I don't know why this one always pops up, but we've talked about this many times. But, I mean, Cynthia Rothrock in the original Mortal Kombat, that's just a mm-hmm. given. Uh, it's a big duh. Uh, but let's see here. Otherwise, uh, mm, as, yeah, you know, off the top of my head, and there's so many good roles that could have been recast better. But, uh, yeah, because even it's like, you know, a lot of people like to give uh, Chad McQueen uh, uh, crap about martial uh, law in some of his other movies. But I thought he was a legitimate martial artist. He was more kind of like your local karate type school kid. He didn't have the same physical capabilities as other stars, but he was also a good actor. Right. But uh, this is going to sound random because I've just been... uh, you know, I do a lot of research on kickboxing and stuff. So it's interesting. At that era, so and a lot of that movie was shot at the Jet Center, right? Mm-hmm. There was a very famous uh, Australian kickboxer, the, the kind of one of the pioneers of Australian kickboxing, who, uh, who actually went over to live and train in L.A. with our sensei and with uh, Benny the Jet at the Jet Center, Stan the Man, uh, Longinitas. And he actually looks a lot like Chad McQueen. They had that same mullet style and stuff, but keep in mind, he's a world kickboxing champion. He did pro, uh, primarily international rules, so that includes leg kicks and stuff. So that would have been an interesting recast just to see Stan the Man. But 
the interesting part is also I was rewatching Ring of Fire because it's on Prime. And I totally didn't realize Stan the Man is in that. He's in the opening fight sequence and he fights uh, not Ron Yuen because Gary Daniels fights Ron Yuen. He yeah. fights, uh, oh, Stephen, whatever his name is, the other, the cousin of Don the Dragon. Uh, and he loses. But that's a random one. And I don't know why I just went off on that tangent because there's way better examples I could have used. You, this is what, this is what uh, listeners will understand is dodging the question. Yeah, dodging <laughs> the question. Uh, I like to call it a bobbing and weaving the question, slipping the question, checking the question, check hooking the question. Uh, but no, like thinking just, hmm, I want to give a really good example for this. Uh, I've talked about before, you know, Keith Vitale and Best of the Best would have mm-hmm. been awesome. Uh, so yeah, we've, we've done a few of these before, so I guess I'm not, uh, being totally inappropriate in my, uh, ranting, but, uh, let's see here. Let me try to think of like a good mainstream type action picture where martial arts were involved and it would have been nice to have like a, a real martial artist per se, uh, maybe. It's I'm, okay because while you're, while you're thinking, mm-hmm. my mind is racing too. And now, now I'm trying to think of like. What about those movies that got released on the big screen, like with uh, Charlie Sheen or Wesley Snipes, where they're doing action, but at the same time, like, you know, Wesley Snipes obviously can do action, but he's playing off of other people who can't do action, like in the movie Art of War or Drop Zone. Mm -hmm. I know there were some people in there who could do martial arts, but they killed them off pretty early on. And then he ended up uh, facing, uh, is it Michael Bean at the end? Of which one? Uh, Art of War. I can't remember now. So, but he faces, who, who's the actor? I'm sorry, uh, action, tw- hashtag action uh, Twitter. Who's the actor in T2 and Terminator 1 who is with, with Linda? Well, my, Michael Bean is from uh, Terminator yeah, 1. Bean. Yeah, okay, cool. But yes. then remember so Robert Michael Patrick Bean. was Michael Terminator Bean. Yeah, so Michael Bean plays opposite uh, Wesley Snipes in Art of War. Right. And so there's a chance for a great martial arts showdown at the end of Art of War. I mean, it's it's thematically it's it's titles from Sung Tzu you know right so let's have a martial arts fight sequence but they don't Michael Bean isn't really at Wesley Snipes's caliber so instantly you know if I'm thinking about recasting like you know me I always go to oh what about Sifu Don Nyam but in honor of who I met this week I'm gonna say uh it would have been awesome to see Jeff Wincott as the villain or as the number one henchman going against uh Wesley Snipes because I think their fighting styles on screen would actually go really well together and and I know maybe your viewing of uh, Jeff Wincott might not be as expansive as mine but like I'm particularly thinking that came out around the time of of, of his film Last Man Standing mm-hmm. I could be off on the time frame a little bit and at that time I mean his the action sequences in that film are pretty pretty uh, high caliber I mean like going there's a, there's a whole sequence where they're going through window like glass and window panes. Uh, with the villain. So anyway, I'm thinking like it would have been great to see Wesley Snipes versus uh, Jeff Wincott in that finale. I think that's it. In in, yeah, in the CIA like uh, lobby. Yeah. Because there's a lot of glass there. And it turns out just to be like a shooting sequence. And it's like, uh, Wesley Snipes had a chance to show off some more martial arts like he did in Passenger 57. And of course, at the end of Passenger 57, we don't see a lot of martial arts. But there's, there's, there's enough in that for us to consider it a martial art film. Yeah, and I think... Uh like you could automatically jump on passenger 57 and be like, Oh, replace Bruce Payne with someone like Gary Daniels. Right. But But, yeah, but Bruce Payne's acting performance is just so good that I would rather not get as, you know, good of a one-on-one finale with his just creepiness. 
Uh, he, he he knocks it out of the park. He's he he made my top ten villain list if I remember correctly. Right. Or you know what they could have done instead is at the very end somehow he goes and gets that surgery that alters his appearance. <laughs> then he comes out as Gary Daniels, which yes. really didn't. You know they're they're kind of similar looking except he's way more uh, Gary Daniels is way more muscular. So it yeah. would have made zero sense, but we could have got an awesome finale. He, he would have gone through the face off machine and then his body would have taken on the other actor's body. But, there you go. There you so go. So do you have any, uh, so, so your turn. Uh, I mean, once again, Keanu Reeves is so iconic in the Matrix, right? And he did the martial arts stuff beautifully that I wouldn't have recasted him because he put in the time and effort. But you could easily have cast someone like, say, Mark Dacascos in that role, oh, who had the acting wow. ability, who wow. uh, was of the right age, who had that right sense of innocence for that role. And Absolutely. Like, but I, I wouldn't have, you know. I say the same thing. My Before you were, you were going on your little... Uh, trying to figure this answer out my original answer was going to be probably sacrilege but what about jeff wincott in the crow so it's wincott versus wincott it's funny you should say that because i was thinking oh, oh you're talking about jeff wincott in brandon lee's role well you know just like wincott versus wincott a chance and to have that's jeff the end of this Mike podcast everybody <laughs> that's what i, I say i hope well, you saying, enjoyed yeah <laughs> well, i'm saying it's sacrilegious and like also you don't touch that film so i'm glad like i came up with something else but still i because this one out what i was thinking was like oh, okay what if jeff wincott was the villain instead but oh i like that because for martial arts wise however and he's a fantastic actor however his brother michael his performance in that is just it's the he role knocks. he was born to play yeah, absolutely. So, but, well, but we could also make the argument for like the subsequent Crow movies. What if they're like, oh, we, you know, obviously, unfortunately. Uh, but anyway, you can't touch the Crow franchise. Right. But with that said, uh, Passenger 50, or no, no, Art of War for me. <laughs> good, good call, good call. Uh, okay, so uh, let's, let's, man, we have so much to talk about. So, I know. so much, so much to unwrap. So, I mean, obviously, fans know what film we're going to be talking about today. Right. Ultimately, we're talking about, are we going to, yeah, well, do, do fans we're, so we're going to be <laughs> yeah. talking about Raging Fire, the final picture of Benny Chan, the new Donnie Yen movie. Uh, but I think what we should talk about real quick is my last trip down a few weeks ago, we did go mm -hmm. to the new Beverly double screening of the Michael Chan uh, films, uh, yes. Chan Waiman uh, movies. And we ended up uh, only staying partway through the second one simply because uh, we had my nephew with me who is uh, now attending Long Beach, hence why we were in Long Beach. And we wanted to get him back because he had classes the next morning. And we had a really obnoxious individual sitting next to us that was like laughing at every little thing. They unfortunately, last time we were there, they gave a nice speech like, hey, it's it, there's going to be points where you laugh and stuff, but you don't laugh at every damn sequence because that's distracting to everybody. And unfortunately, we just had this obnoxious a-hole next to us. But the first movie we watched uh, ended up surprising both of us, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I, I was not anticipating that level of, uh, I don't know how to say cleanliness, but clean fighting that was on screen. Yes, Just, that, that is correct. So of the movies, we had The Bravest Fist and The Chinese Mac. And so uh, the first movie was The Bravest Fist. Correct, Amundo? Oh, correct, Amundo, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so the, both of these films were of what they call, uh, or I like the, the term now, uh, the basher genre, right? Yep. Uh, 
Is that where they bash people? Bash each other? Like a lot of hits back and forth? Describe, tell us what the basher genre is for, for our uh, new listeners. Well, so like for me, I've always called it more of like the chop socky era. This is kind of yeah. rough and tumble choreography, a little less clean, uh, kind of, I hate to use the words like sloppier technique, right? And there, there are certain pictures from this era because a lot of choreographers kind of started off in this period. I mean, obviously, La Garlang, Yuan Wuping. And so you see moments of their brilliance and it would only take a few years before they kind of sharpened the choreography and the the, the performance of the actors and so forth and mm-hmm. so forth. So typically with these kind of films, they're, they're not really usually up my alley. They're kind of like, I, I'd, I'd say the quintessential star of these style films would be like Jimmy Wong Yu, who a lot of people, I mean, aside from our sensei who, you know, that was like, you know, his hero, man, Jimmy Wong Yu, he's my man. Uh, (laughs) You know, a lot of people don't like him and I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of his work either. But the interesting part about this first movie, The Bravest Fist, was Michael Chan's performance is what elevated it to uh, a different kind of movie than I was expecting. So the choreography yes. itself was was not anything necessarily too intricate, too groundbreaking, but it was his actual performance because in real life, his style is pretty much almost like Muay Thai. And he did uh, have at least one ring fight uh, in the 80s uh, and we watched it. And it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of people might be, oh, well, the fix was in because uh, he <laughs> knocks the guy out in the very first round and is kind of, he, he has okay boxing hands. He doesn't know how to check leg kicks, really. He's kind of throwing random kicks, but he ends up knocking the dude out with a counter straight right. However, they show the replay in slow motion and you and I watch it and we're like, okay, yeah. definitely real because you see the guy go out and hit the ground. You can't fake that. But... Uh, so he kind of has more like a Muay Thai style with some very good, clean high kicks and like high side kicks. And he did a ton of judo throws. And yes, yeah. and I, I think I lost count at 12 and it's the same one every time the the basic kind of shoulder uh hip throw but it's done perfectly unlike a lot of other movies at this time where like the person being thrown jumps with it right like whoa or it doesn't actually go over the hip because they're not really doing it he's doing it for real so it's like he obviously learned how to do that throw and even though it's the same one every time the power and the torque is there and you see whack the guy gets thrown you're like damn that's legit and he also does a couple double legs, uh, mm-hmm. which is funny. I mean, I know they weren't the, the cleanest executed. They're more kind of like Bruce Lee's one he did on Bob Wall in Way of the Dragon. But so you kind of have that. But even just his like punches and his kicks, it, it made the movie much better than I was expecting. Uh, it was in Mandarin, which is cool. It's always fun to watch movies. And I know a lot of people will be like, well, I don't want Cantonese. Well, sorry, I studied Mandarin. So uh, that's what I get. But uh yeah, so I was just pleasantly surprised. And that's another reason why we stayed partway through the second one. It was the dub. We kind of had this obnoxious dude that moved and sat next to us. It already wasn't as good of a movie you could tell. And we're like, you know what? Let's just leave on top right there. And on yeah. top of that, I we had to get up early the next morning, drive to go train with Sugarfoot on my way out of town. So, uh, but otherwise, it was an awesome double screening per usual. Uh, we love the new Beverly. Any final thoughts on that? Um, it was great to see Dean Sheck in a film that where he wasn't oh, uh, hamming that, it up. That's Dean right. Sheck, early yeah, Dean, Dean Sheck, Sheck. Early Dean Sheck where he isn't hamming. Yeah, know, unfortunately, I, still not the greatest martial artist. <laughs> uh, 
even so, like obviously he did a lot of comical martial arts performances like Snake in the Eagle Shadow and so forth. But in this one, he's like, spoiler alert, he's an undercover cop, right? So in yeah. the end, we find out he can fight. Uh, but yeah. yeah, exactly. It was a pleasant surprise because I thought while watching it, I'm like, huh, that looks like Dean Sheck. Then afterwards, you were you knew it was him, but you couldn't think of his name. And you're yeah, like, oh, that's what. so young. You're like, yeah. Oh, is that what's his name from that? I was like, Dean Sheck. You're like, yeah. I'm like, that's who I thought it was. And yep. Yeah, no, I, I was I was waiting for him to do Sticky Finger, which is a half a loaf of Kung Fu movie <laughs> yeah. where he puts up both hands. Yep. Did, did, I, I want to try that in a real fight sometime. First, I have to get in a real fight, so I'll just go down to the, the boardwalk on uh, Venice and just start doing Sticky Finger. Well, the, the, if you go to the boardwalk at Venice and pick a fight with someone, they may start doing something just as equally as crazy. Yeah, Sticky like, Finger. Yeah, or sticky like Berker. they may try to start doing Capoeira, and you're like, oh, shit, they're doing the Jenga, but then they're like, ah, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> This person's yeah. just as crazy. Yes. So uh, we saw that film. Yes, we did. Uh, in in leading up to talking about uh, Raging Fire as well, uh, last week, I'm doing three weeks in a row at New Beverly. They were showing Heat. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there are some thematic relations to that. So I definitely wanted to go check that out to get a refresher on that. And and uh, so it was great to see that. Also great to see uh, Jerry Trimble Woo! Uh, in you, the cast. Oh, dang, you get to see him twice in the New Bev. Uh, I know. So I saw Jerry, so Jerry Trimble's there. And of course, like Michael Mann, I really appreciate his uh, authentic casting. He casts real tough guys uh, and real uh, people outside of just the acting realm, but yet also the world's top actors face to face. But he also had Henry Rollins in there, Tone Loke. Uh, That's right. You know, you know, and then of course Funky you got Medina. Yeah. So you got you got you have some really great casting in there, but it's it's really fun to to see where that film was made and how it's really timeless, and then see where Raging Fire pulls from there and kind of updates some of the 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 shootout action sequences. Yeah, because uh, and we'll get to this. That was I got to see this movie twice. And that was, I saw it first without you, then I, we went and saw it together while I was in LA. And that's kind of one of the first things I said. So here we go. We are going to talk now about the movie Raging Fire, Benny Chan's final picture. May he rest in peace. The, uh, I, I go as far as to call him an auteur because typically when we use the term auteur or author, right, for when it comes to cinema, this is an individual who has a very distinct, recognizable film uh, style, style mm-hmm. of filmmaking. Uh, his pictures, his he or she's pictures, you can instantly watch and recognize. A lot of people don't like the term auteur because then it takes away from, say, the entire ensemble because it's not just one picture person making a picture. And a lot of times, auteurs use the same individuals too. So if anything, mm-hmm. author, uh, auteurship might be more of a group effort, you know, just like Christopher Doyle has done a ton of Wong Kar Wai films, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you could call Benny Chan an auteur because his films have a very distinct style of Hong Kong, like crime action uh, themes. And in the same sense, they're not like art house pictures, but they are very distinct in style and tone. Yeah, they, there's there's consistency, there's distinction, and there is uh, he he's a filmmaker of uh, like an overlapping era. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you you definitely get three eras of filmmaking, and one of those eras is the one that he's he ushered in. Mm-hmm. So you definitely do get some '80s, '90s, and 2000s. I love it. And- I, I I I that is the best way of putting it because you get like a bit of Hong Kong new wave, you get a bit of 
post handover period. And then he helped segue into the 2000s, creating his own unique style. Yeah. And I think I think what's what's special about Benny Chan is a lot of other filmmakers from from his era maybe dropped off or maybe uh, maybe moved overseas uh, because it maybe became a little too difficult to make films in in the without compromise or Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it became easier to to just cash out somewhere else. But he stuck with it, and you know, I'm not trying to disparage anybody else. I'm really trying to just say how special Benny Chan was to stick with, to stick with his industry where it was located, and lift the bar higher and higher with each with each passing film. I think, although there are some peaks uh, throughout his career. Agreed. But looking at, back at his filmography, I'm going to go as far as to say I think this was his best movie. I I'm, I feel like it's. If, if anyone were to argue that, they couldn't argue that it's not one of his best three. Yeah, because, I mean, I I liked Benny Chan before I knew who Benny Chan was. I remember seeing Gen X Cops when it first came out. <laughs> Once again, yes. it, it got a blockbuster release. And obviously, we have Nicholas Say in one of his first roles, who is our antagonist in Raging Fire. And I remember just thinking, typically... That style uh, of movie wasn't really my shtick. You know, I liked mm-hmm. more the traditional, uh, even if con- uh, I like contemporary ones, but I wanted more Hong Kong style, like fight scenes throughout and so forth. But I really liked Gen X Cops. And even the finale uh, was hard hitting and I liked it. I mean, who am I? A lot of people might argue who am I is Benny Chan's best movie. Uh, but at the same time, and it, who am I is a fantastic film. But I think that movie is almost equally as Jackie as it is Benny. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and Jackie obviously had a huge hand because, at, at that, especially at that point, still doing all the directing of his action and this and that. And but once again, th- th- these were good starting platforms for him as he segued into his own unique uh, authorship. Yes, and and it's funny when you when you say Gen X. Uh, cops got a blockbuster release. You mean blockbuster video release? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me clarify for people. Uh, back in the day, you used to have to go to video rental stores to watch movies, uh, especially ones that did not get theatrical releases. Uh, you would go and you'd pay like three seventy-five, and you'd get to keep the VHS tape for 48 hours. Uh, and if you didn't return it, you'd get charged each day that you kept yes. it longer. And if you didn't rewind the film before returning it, then you would also get charged for that. What's rewind, you say? Well, unlike DVDs that you just put in and play, VHS tapes ran on tape, where at the end of the tape, it would be on the other side and you'd have to reverse it backwards. That's why you'd have special features. Sometimes you'd buy a a VCR that had like fast rewind and was, you know, because some of them would be. You get you get rewind. Yeah. Rewind machines, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. Exactly. They were a separate one that specifically did that. So for, for your binge movie watchers, you pop, once the movie's done, you pop it out, you put it in the rewind machine, you put the next movie in. Because uh, on, on your normal VCR, it could take like five minutes maybe to rewind it. And who wants to waste five minutes? Or if it was the case of my grandma, she wouldn't let us rewind it without playing it. Because if you – like she had a built-in little VCR <laughs> TV thing and you could easily yes. just – turn on the TV and rewind it and it was much faster. However, she would not let us do that. She'd make us play the movie because she said that's the only way you could do it. And of course, as a child, you didn't know anything. And she would make you play it and then rewind it that way. So that would take like 20 minutes. Yeah. 
uh, we're going to rename this episode to Be Kind Rewind. Yeah, nice, which was actually a movie they made uh, with Jack Black and Most Deaf, I think. It was like an indie comedy uh, from <laughs> yes. about like a de- at least a decade ago. But anyways, we're, we're going off on a tangent again. So uh, back to Benny Chan, back to what you were saying, kind of he segued, ushered in this new era. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly feel this is like his magnum opus, right? This is, And as a final picture, uh, I mean, you can't get any better than this. And yeah. so I was lucky enough, I went and saw it the weekend it premiered here. I drove to Sacramento with Jessica. We went and watched it, absolutely loved it. And I think I, I sent you a text right out the gate and I said, it's incredible. It's heat meets new police story with Donnie Yen fight scenes. Yeah, and you know, it's... Uh you know, we talked, you just, you mentioned, uh, who am I? And it being a little, it was still like equal parts, Jackie. What's great about Donnie Yen fight scenes. It's like Donnie Yen fight and Benny Chan movies were born to be, to come together. Yep. And it just, it's like, and you know, we, I think, I think speaking freely, like Donnie Yen has had some great films and great fight scenes, but maybe we've been waiting for this movie for a long time, ever since Flashpoint, like waiting for this just pure kinetic energy, great fight sequences, and just like absolute heart and grit and slickness that we that hasn't always been there with Donnie Yen releases between Flashpoint and and uh, Raging Fire. I know there there have been a, there are a few exceptions to that rule, but I've been waiting. Basically, I've been waiting for this since I saw Flashpoint on the big screen. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, what we have to remember is pretty much once Yip Man hit, that was what Donnie ran with, right? Because uh, of course, but he and Wilson Yip had already been working together for years and creating. You know, they helped revolutionize the modern fight scene, as we said, both of our, like our top fight scene of all time, Colin Cho versus Donnie Yen and Flashpoint. We had, uh, Sat Po Long before that with Sammo. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. the experimenting. They also did Dragon Tiger Gate, which is a movie a ton of people sleep on. It's one of my all time favorite, what would be comic book movies. I was just, uh, rewatching it yesterday cause I, it, it was on Netflix. I'm like, cool. It might be my next Sunday fun day recommendation actually. And after Yip man, like they, he did, uh, the, uh, the Legend of Chen Zhen, right? That movie, mm-hmm. which was more, once again, comic book-esque. So there was some contemporary elements to it and some amazing fight sequences, but not the straight up, uh, like, you know, that MMA style choreography, choreography he had uh, revolutionized. They attempt, He attempted again with uh, Special Identity, which unfortunately was a movie you can yeah. tell had a lot of post-production hell. And in retrospect, Rewatching it in later years, it is better than when I first went and saw it in theaters while I was living in China and was just like horrified. Uh, and I still think that's one of those movies that if you could take and re-edit and do like a director's cut of it now, I think like you know and sharpen up uh, some of the music, some of the editing choices, mm-hmm. uh, it could be still a much better movie. But yeah, we haven't really had that chance. Uh, we had Enter the Fat Dragon, which I enjoyed, which had yes. like you know with some great action sequences, but. In that serious tone, with a really good story, with a very good overall, lack of a better term, like mise-en-scene, right? Just everything flowing together. There is no like, oh, okay. And uh, because on top of that, one of the main things, before I forget to say, this is truly, you. uh, it's so special because this is a Hong Kong movie. And we do not get Hong Kong movies 
very much anymore. And where people are asking like, oh, there's a lot of movies. Well, most, and even this one obviously is backed by Chinese money. Mm-hmm. To have just a straight up Hong Kong story, Hong Kong like cast actors behind the scenes in fr- front of the camera is very unique. Most films are kind of made, if anything, more predominantly for the Chinese mainland market now. And so therefore you have uh, a lot more mainland Chinese actors, uh, stories that are geared towards those audiences. This one feels like it could have come out 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, in Hong Kong, when like Hong Kong, when there were still hundreds of straight up Hong Kong produced and released films, uh, which but the, and the nice part is this movie is for audiences worldwide, though. And that was the great thing about Hong Kong movies before they, they weren't made just for local audiences. Yes, certain comedy films were. But a lot of these. <laughs> yeah, action, yeah, like Michael yeah. Huy and stuff. We've talked about that. Stephen Chow. But a lot of the action pictures were sold worldwide and loved worldwide. And that's why everybody loves uh these martial arts movies, the Kung Fu movies. And so this film harkens back to that, that kind of film, that era where it, it, it truly feels like a Hong Kong movie, which also makes it so special. Yes. And I, I want to put a pin in the conversation when we're talking about like nineties films being released for worldwide as to, to come back to at the end of this, but you're, you're absolutely right. It's, 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 it's like a, it's like a movie that came that we discovered out of like what what do schools do where you use like bury like time capsules? Yes. This came out of a time capsule, but with modern day technology, which is really fantastic to see. It's like uh, it's like all of a sudden if Dr. No were shot today, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just, it just feels like, oh, this is what a Bond film is like with this kind of technology. It's great. And that's exactly what Raging Fire feels like. This is this feels like Hong Kong. And it's shot today. And the best part is, and there's nothing wrong with that either uh, in in the sense of it's not excluding mainland Chinese productions because this film, what it does is, it and a lot of current mainland Chinese productions, I think a lot of people think are overtly political or overtly pro-China, which once again, there's, and some people are like, oh, they love to make the comparison to Top Gun. Oh, well, how about a Top Gun in America? It's like, sure, movies like that are great once in a while, like Wolf Warrior, you know, for China Mm -hmm. and stuff. But it's like when you suddenly get that seeping into every movie, it gets a little old. This movie avoids all the politics. There's certain thematic, uh, thematic elements that they do kind of address, which is fine. Like, you know, bad people must be punished. Even like bad, you know, police, which is, yeah, must be punished. But thematically, they avoid anything overtly political. So therefore, that's why they were able to make this movie, right? There's no, yeah. there's nothing to do with Hong Kong government compared to Chinese government or communism mm-hmm. compared to uh, democracy or a pro-democracy movement. The It's just character driven within this Hong Kong setting, which is amazing. And I'd love to see more movies like that now. And it's not like they're tippy toeing around anything and sacrificing uh, part of the storytelling. It's just a brilliant movie that avoids all of the political censorship issues and therefore was able to be as amazing as it is. Well, and I, I like your comparisons when you when you came out of the theater and you text me. I mean, I feel like it definitely does have some heat aspects to it, which very much talks about black and white, right and wrong, and also this gray zone that both live, that both, you know, the characters, you know, uh, Donnie Yen's character and Michael Tsai's character both live within. But Wait, then Nicholas also. Say? 
Nicholas say? What did I say? You said Michael uh, Sai? Michael, Michael Sai. Nicholas Say, sorry. Okay, no worries. I was just making no, sure we're on the same page. I'm recording in my car. I don't have my notes next to me. At least this recording, you won't hear my pencil running yeah. through half of it. Uh, you, they, they both live in the gray zone for a period. They both have to dip in. But at the end, it's the black or white decision, which you also get from uh, in heat. But also... This, these, these elements of wrong has to be punished, even when a, a cop doing wrong th- is a throwback in many ways to righting wrongs, which isn't mm-hmm. in a throwback is, is to like the 1950s, like Western films yep. uh, and the film noir uh, and film noir from like the forties where it's basically like, okay, we're going to all, here's right, here's wrong. We're all going to dip into that gray zone because that's where the story exists. But at the end of the day, we got to separate from that gray zone and right is right and wrong is wrong and righting wrong. So even your protagonist ends up, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler alert with this film, but you're in writing wrongs, you know, your, your protagonist ends up because of the wrong he did has to pay the price. Uh, but I mean, yeah, so I'll, I'll yield there. Yeah. That's the perfect, uh, analogy right there. This gray zone, because that's the whole theme of this movie. Uh, pretty much basic, the basic plot structure is, uh, we've got Donnie Yen as, you know, a detective who will not budge on his morals and principles, even when it comes to higher up officials, like kind of quasi or not quasi corrupt officials that want him to turn a blind eye to stuff. He goes against them, you know, and this is at the, uh, at the effect of his own career, right? His Mm -hmm. upward mobility, because he refuses to not do the right thing. That being said, sometimes in pursuit of the villains and to capture these evil people, he does have to step slightly into that gray zone, but he, and that's just to punish bad guys, but he never goes farther than that in the sense of for his own uh, well-being or his own personal gain. And morally, he's a good individual. So pretty much he ends up coming up against his former protege, uh, mm-hmm. Played by Nicholas Say, who was uh, an up-and-coming police officer looking to probably surpass Donnie with his crew. And pretty much, once again, in order to get some answers out of a bad guy, they step into that gray zone. But then they choose to step a step further and go into that area where they're of no return. They get punished for it. They get sent to prison. They get out of prison, form this like elite group of, you would call terrorists, and... It's a game of cat and mouse uh, between Donnie and his current team against his former protege and his team who have now completely gone over to the other side. And sure, there's this element of Nicholas Say and his team were betrayed by the higher ups because they were ordered to do what they did in a sense. Uh, but it was still a personal choice. They chose to take it that far. And so a lot of the, the, for lack of a better term, it might be like a, oh, a woe is me element. But at the end of the day, they made that choice. Yeah. And they, they and it's it basically each character has to be responsible for their choices. And I mean, and, you know, spoiler alert, but I'm not going to give the full spoil away. The, at the, in the final scene, as Donnie Ann is walking away, Say has to make a, a decision of his own. And he makes his own decision. You know, but he, you know, everyone is is responsible for their decision. I think at one point uh, in the film, Donnie Yen has to shoot at a at, at a 
at a police officer as well. He shoots the shield, but he he dis he discharges his gun to get the police officer to back off because he you know he made the decision to protect a particular character in the film, and also there was a a time bomb there that he had to dis. But the but the whole point is because he he discharged his gun, he was still potentially being investigated investigated by internal affairs. And he so, he doesn't de- argue with it. He doesn't deny it. He's like, yeah. I had to make this choice to save innocent lives. Yeah, I'm taking full responsibility. Yeah, so it's all ultimately this film is about uh, taking responsibility. And yes, the say his character and his 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 group made the wrong made a choice that netted a particular result. But also they didn't want to take responsibility for it. They wanted to pass the buck up to the people who gave them the green light to do it. And the people who gave them the green light to do it ignored it. And of course, they pay the price for that uh, for that denial that basically the judas type denial that mm-hmm. they that they uh, gave in court but it, it's a very it's a very so basically it's an intricate police drama police procedural drama that on its own would be a film that you and i would go watch then you throw in the donnie Yen court the donnie Yen fight scenes uh and then you also throw in some shootouts that are michael mann-esque but also have like you know there's a sh- shootout in the in the streets that is very similar to the shootout that uh, that they have in Heat between uh, De Niro and Pacino. However, then they end up at a at a church that is very much like The Killers, uh, yeah. the John Woo film. So there's The right, Killer, yeah, The Killer, yeah, not Killers, not The Killers with Ashton Kutcher and Catherine Heigl. Uh, I, I was thinking more of the Sterling Hayden Killers, but if that's okay. where your head goes for those killers, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just it's it's a it's. It's an ultimate homage to all these great action films, but it's also it's not ripping scenes. It's taking them to a new level. And it's just, you know, uh, those who do argue that Who Am I is like the who might argue that Who Am I is the best Benny Chan film. Unlike Who Am I, there there are no script inconsistencies or questions in Raging Fire. It is actually like. It, it is kind of, it is basically the pinnacle and to go out on that note is, is quite uh, glorious for, for Benny Chan and Benny Chan's fans. Yeah, uh, very well put. And that's kind of where, like when I said originally, Heat meets, the reason I picked New Police Story is because kind of this, this element of revenge slash redemption in both a police and, uh, for lack of a better term, like, terrorist situation like in new police story you have the group of bad guys read by led by daniel Wu. then you've got the group of like police with nicholas say and jackie chan so there's these thematic elements that are kind of uh similar to that film but then obviously i said heat because of these incredible uh mostly the finale shootout sequence but that being said now that we've kind of established the basic plot the cat and mouse thriller heist movie revenge you have these group of ex-police officers uh, not only trying to pull off uh, this ultimate heist, but also seeking revenge against the police at the same time, uh, we can talk now about the action sequences. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, a couple of really good chase sequences. We have what would be uh, pretty much like two main like fight sequences, right? Uh, and then... Uh, the big shootout sequence in Fally. So I was surprised by how much action we got in this movie. 
Yes. I, I almost felt like the way they were developing the film, it was actually kind of turned out to be a little bit like Hydra, where you just get two sequences mm -hmm. and one short and one's long. But no, we got some great sequences and the gunplay mixed with martial arts play at the at the mall sequence. Oh, that's right. Now, you literally, I was just about to say that I forgot completely about the opening like mall big action sequence. So there's another yeah. huge, more like shoot em up scene. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, so, so, uh, let, let's talk about the action. Let, let's get into like what kind of styles we saw on film. And, and cause I think I, if I remember, I saw like three to four different types of martial arts being thrown out there. Oh yeah. So pretty much as we have that big opening sequence in the mall, which is where, uh, the police team, not including, uh, Donnie gets bombarded, uh, and ambushed by Nicholas say and his team, they're all murdered and killed. This is once again, more in that kind of, uh, tactical police type style uh comparable to that sequence not in so much heat but you know i don't know any sort of like even more like swat type movie right mm -hmm. and a lot of big explosions there's a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand stuff which is actually i feel like quite well done i think it's ray Liu is the actor who yep. plays like donnie's current uh best buddy in the department who gets to yes. throw down i like some of kind of more of the tactical type hand-to-hand -hand stuff he's doing a little bit of chin na uh and everything so that's a great sequence right there then we have the whole shantytown sequence where mm -hmm. donnie yen storms uh oh, yeah. the shantytown where he's trying to find uh, the the drug dealer played by Ben Lamb, who uh, a lot of people might remember from. Uh, he's been in a few movies here and there, but specifically within Donnie Yen's filmography, he was the lead antagonist in Legend of the Wolf. Uh, mm -hmm. And he has what I feel is a very underrated fight scene with Donnie Yen at the end of that uh, movie. But uh, so then there's that sequence, which definitely has elements of we felt by bust. The, yeah, the Filipino it's, it's, action movie we've done an episode on. There's definitely, and I, I don't know if it's just kind of coincidence because once again, Hong Kong has shanty towns like that too, obviously. Uh, and it's not that it's uh, derivative of it. It's not like, oh, they're completely ripping it off. Just it has similar dark tones and elements to it. Uh, but that being said, once the action picks up in that sequence, it's a combination of both gun and hand to hand. It's completely different than by bust. So, yeah. uh, and Donnie, goes there solo his team ends up coming to back him up which he doesn't even know but we have a really awesome fight sequence that starts off with him and uh ben lamb and then ben lamb escapes then donnie's got to fight off a bunch of guys he and it's just so crazy he's just throwing even like what would be simple kicks but just his execution and his kicking style is so good he throws like a pump front kick a spinning yep. wheel kick his classic like stepping side kick he's <laughs> knocking guys back it's very realistic uh then he you know he wraps his uh bulletproof vest around his arm and so he's like hitting off the knives and stuff then he gets outside and he confronts uh ben lamb again and then they have what would be kind of like a very gritty almost mma style fight sequence a lot of like judo throws and grappling mm -hmm. and striking and then they run some more they end up in the sewer where there's some more great just a very stellar sequence that i wasn't expecting as i said i thought we were going to get maybe two action sequence max and so it's that perfect uh, not filler sequence. It's just we are lucky as fans to get such a well-executed action sequence that also helps uh, progress the storyline. Yes. Yeah, it, and it's, you know, um, it also, what I like about these these sequences, and you get this a lot in a Donnie Yen film, are the fights actually are, help drive uh, the character. Uh, 
particularly the sequence where uh, Donnie, shortly after fending off the, the mob, jumps out of the window. It's, yes. And if you rewatch that, he's trying to jump across the building because he's so driven and he can't make it and he hits the building. You know, he crashes against the side of one building and he hits the ground and then he continues running. They're just small elements within the film like that that don't necessarily have to be there. He could just jump straight down. But, you know, they, but this, this shows how driven he is, that he is... He is going to do whatever it takes and okay it's just a small it's maybe it's a 90 some minute movie and what is this two seconds but that those that's how important fight sequences are within particularly a donnie and movie where uh each element is not a wasted element but it further it establishes a character's experience uh superiority in a fight sequence perhaps but also the character itself yeah, and that that pain factor where you're just like, ooh. Because yeah. uh, there's even the whole sequence afterwards where he goes home and his wife finds him in the bathroom and he's just completely bloodied up and bruised. And obviously he was trying to be quiet because it's early in the morning. And then he just, you know, says to her, oh, this is the last time, I promise. But we know that's not true. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he kind of jokingly <laughs> says it, but that's just part of the life he lives. And then, uh, and I, I, I can't remember maybe all of them off the top of my head, but then we have another short, uh, great fight sequence between Nicholas Say and the crew against uh, Ken Lowe and his crew, a great cameo yes. by Ken Lowe, where pretty much they were going to team up with this other group to pull off this heist. The other group decides to betray them and they're like, Okay, we expected that, and then they just kill them all. And that's a great fight sequence right there. You don't really get to see Ken Lowe do a whole lot, but it's just, once again, another... It could have just been a throwaway scene, and instead we get a short but phenomenally choreographed and shot uh, action sequence because there's guns, there's fighting. The way they flow together, too, it's like they look like a unit. They look like a team that has this tactical training. And can, 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 I'm going to pause for just a second and just say, like, this is what I appreciate about Hong Kong films uh, in that you have Ken Lo cast there. Yeah. And yes, it could have turned into a great, fantastic fight sequence with him. But at the same time, like even when you cast an action star, or an action villain, or someone who's been in action films, and you don't necessarily have to do the, have them do action, there's a certain authenticity that just comes across on film. There's a certain uh, gravitas that comes across on film. And it's also like links us to the past of these films. And this, this, like didn't he have blonde hair in this film like dyed yeah, blonde he has like a mohawk so, type thing yeah so when i saw that and then i saw jerry trimble in heat i'm like oh there's another there's another crossover <laughs> element where you you've cast an action star in a film and i you know going back to the question we ask quite often on this episode who how would you do a recast like sometimes just adding in someone uh who's who has this authentic action background in a film, even in the background or as a, a in a smaller role, adds so much to the sequences and to the film rather than just casting, like, I hate to say it, but a pretty face. Yeah. And the thing is, interestingly enough, in research for this, we rewatched Invisible Target, uh, another Benny Chan film, which I've always loved and still holds up very good. Uh, a little more on kind of the mellow drama side. This film, Raging Fire, does not have any elements where you're like, okay, it's overacting or this or that. Uh, Invisible Target, a little more of that, but I mean, it's for the kind of that audience. However, that being said, Ken Lo is also in that film where he plays a completely different character, more of a lighthearted kind of comical type character. Whereas in this one, he transforms himself like physically with his appearance. He's kind of almost like nerdy looking, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a softer uh type character he has that mohawk but with glasses he looks almost like slightly uh 
uh, for lack of a better word, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know, how would you describe it? I'm waiting for you to come up with this good word. How, how does he look? He looks... Timid, maybe. He's slightly he, timid. He's He doesn't look like, say, like Nicholas Say as the leader, this scarred, he, hardened, battle-ridden. Yeah. He looks more like... Uh, he looks like a, He looks like a timid conniving backstabber yes. and guess what he That's was what he is. yeah no perfect well put so we've got that sequence so pretty much and once again we're we're, we're skipping over a lot of story elements because we're trying not to give you any spoilers like overt spoilers but when we do get to the finale that is just an incredible sequence that you just pretty much have never i've never seen in any hong kong movie something like this yes john woo style of gunplay he did incredible stuff but this is different than that it takes more of the michael mann realistic uh, tactical approach with the machine guns and the way it's done. They obviously had to shut down an entire area of wherever they filmed in Hong Kong. Probably mm-hmm. one of more of our Hong Kong experts uh, might know the exact location. But we get this whole sequence of the police chasing down the bad guys. It's a, a lot of, you know, assault rifle type work. Uh, nothing uh, overtly fancy or slow-mo. There's a few shots, like one big slow-mo shot where Nicholas Say throws the grenades up and it's, I mm-hmm. actually like they changed the angle of the camera. You, it's in the trailer. It's very well done. But for the most part, it's kind of, they take a more realistic approach than your typical Hong Kong shoot 'em up sequence. You know, you know what I, I like about this is often when I've watched Hong Kong movies with, with uh, my American friends, um, I like the American friends, like with my friends from anyway, whatever. When I watch, they're like, well, why aren't, where are all the guns? And I mean, of course, like gun regulation are different in different countries. But what I liked about this is there were the guns and then the guns ran out of bullets. Yep. So then all that was left were the guns that were... Uh, known as Donnie fists and feet Ooh. that were left. Right? And that's also, I mean, part of like, once again, not big of a spoiler, but that was Ken Lowe's crew was pretty much supplying them with the weapons. That yeah. was like what the whole thing was. Cause you know, it's, it's a lot harder to get weapons there. Right. Like that's something you have to, you have to have a source or connection for. Uh, and I'd imagine, I, I don't know, I've never been a criminal anywhere, but I'd imagine it's also difficult in America, but probably less difficult. Yeah, that, that's what I would. So, I mean, it's usually it makes sense that, you know, American films are going to have weapons. And why are they always doing hand to hand combat in some action movies? And that's why I think a lot of action movies in the West. So, like, kind of have to revert, revert, revert uh, to uh, real tight quarter hand to hand combat that you might see in uh, Taken. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're, you don't have a lot of long range stuff because we're, we always anticipate weapons. Sort of like in like hard, uh, hard to kill with. Uh, with Steven Seagal, you know, they have one gun and they've already dislodged one bullet. Why are you smiling? Because you only got one left and there's four of you. And then he knocks the gun away, right? So there, we always have to take the weapons out of it to be able to get to the martial arts sequences. And that's what's great about this because there were a ton of weapons, ton of bullets dis, dislodged and discharged. And then finally, your two main characters are out of bullets and it's just the two of them. Very well put. And it's kind of like Bruce Lee, even all the way back in the early 70s, used to joke about that, where like trying to put Kung Fu and martial arts in a contemporary picture is hard because it's just like, boom, you get shot. Right. Hence why Enter the Dragons, this setup where it's the martial arts tournament. On top of that, they have the strict international policy of no guns allowed. Right. Like you, it's a very severe criminal offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like you have to, as you said, that has to be addressed. And here it's just, hey. We run out of bullets. So pretty much we get through the sequence. Uh, it comes down to Donnie and Nicholas say he's chasing him. They end up in an old abandoned church that's being remodeled. And what we get is 
I would I would go as far as to say the best one-on-one fight team Donnie's done since uh, the Colin Cho fight in Flashpoint. Agreed. 100% agreed. Uh, and the best and- part is, I even the... Okay, so we get the beginning and you think, this is great. Okay, it's going to end here. That was short but sweet. No, it keeps going. And then you think yes. it's going to finish there. Okay, cool. Once again, we got a little... Oh, I, I, my, my heart's content. That's all I needed. Then it keeps going again. And you're like, oh my God, yes. And then there's like... It's almost like a four-act structure to this fight. Well, as I, I've talked about the three-act structure of a fight scene, which it pretty much falls into that with four kind of little different parts in the sense of the style that they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it definitely has that three-act structure that the old school fight scenes used to always have. And within there, we have a ton of different like choreography styles and yes. uh, modes of attack. Yeah, it's it, it's it, you described it perfectly because as you're going through uh, the fight sequences, at any moment you're like, you know what? If you guys stop here, I'm content. I'll want to rewatch the scene, and then you're gonna then they then they uh, unveil just another a little more and unveil a little more, and it's just like every time they unveil a little more, uh, for me as an audience member. Uh, my appreciation level goes up for what these guys are putting themselves through and what they're cinematically delivering to us because it's it, it's also extremely well shot Very. like the you know the the angles are right uh, the 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 width of the the camera you know what yes. they're capturing it's every element that you see on screen is absolutely relevant there's no wasted space and there's also nothing that's too tight that you're not able to see what's happening when it gets tight it's for a specific purpose exactly very well put and the style once again is kind of that mma style uh nicholas say not a martial artist by trade but keep in mind he started working in movies when he was like 18 you know gen x cops i want to say he was like 18 or 19 and he's been doing martial arts ever since then like training under the jackie chan stunt team and then you know having worked with donnie before and like dragon tiger gate he's a very legitimate martial artist like when you see his kicks in dragon tiger gate you see he put in the time to learn what's most likely taekwondo style kicking but he's very physical and he can pull off all the action it's not like he needs to be doubled a lot for a lot of the hard stuff. Yes, they both are doubled during certain sequences because you don't want to kill your uh, stars. But we have this MMA style choreography. Once again, lots of kicks, lots of punches, lots of throws, lots of going through walls and windows. At one point, uh, it's like Nicholas Say starts using almost like a little bit of Jeet Kune Do is what it looked like to me. Like these stop low level sidekicks. Uh, mm-hmm. But then Donnie adapts to that and like Superman punches him over that intricate <laughs> yes. little things. A lot of great kind of, you know, grappling throws, uh, wrestling judo type stuff. Then there's one sequence that we both really liked where they're on the ground and uh, Nicholas Say has his knives and he's like got him right in Donnie's face and Donnie's holding him off with his arm. And what could have been a very typical Hong Kong style quick cut uh, uh, edit like uh grappling thing instead they let it play out in real time where donnie slowly rolls the wrist that has the knife in it and it's a very kind of realistic tactical like uh aiki jiu-jitsu or hapkido or chinna type technique of using leverage to pop the knife out of his hand and they just let it play and it's like he slowly is using i believe it's his nightstick or whatever as leverage against the wrist and he rolls it and then you see nicholas says grip slowly turn 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 sorry i was in front of the mic turn and then the (laughs) knife drops and then we go back to that faster pace. So that was just a really cool little sequence I liked hidden in there. But and then even at that point, once again, we talked about we thought the fight was done. Then it becomes a weapon sequence like uh, Nicholas Say picks up a piece of I think it's like rebar with cement or something mm-hmm. and starts swinging at him. So then Donnie has to start using his nightstick. So then we get like a weapon sequence and then it finishes with hand to hand, specifically grappling uh 
you know, Donnie gets like, I think a puncture wound of some sort, but then, you know, resorts to a very much more Brazilian jiu-jitsu style again, mm-hmm. out grapples them, breaks some limbs. And then we finally get the end. So anybody wanting a, a hard hitting one-on-one finale fight scene, you will not be disappointed. I mean, is it of the same style exactly as Flashpoint? No, but it is incredible and it is unique on its own. Yeah, and uh, you know, we we, we sometimes uh, bring these uh, fight sequences back to what we call the Bushido. And what I really appreciated about that is it definitely defined uh, which side each person was on by this point, because. Uh, Donnie Yen's character had the nightstick available to him the entire time. But as long as his opponent was not going to be using a weapon against him, he was going to keep it at the level uh, of his opponent. And then when his opponent grabs the rebar with the cement, uh, then he brings out the nightstick. You know, so the night, like I said, the nightstick's attached to his like gear. So it's, it's, he's, he's always making the honorable decision each step of the way. And mm-hmm. it's, that's, uh, you know, that, that again speaks to how Benny Chan and Donnie Yen always have, uh, always have their characters, uh, the fight sequences and each element in the fight sequence, uh, defining, being character driven is what I'm trying to say, you know. Yep, well put. And then uh, the, the the funny part is the movie kind of just ends right there. But unlike the really abrupt Shaw Brothers kung fu movie ending or any of the old school, it makes sense, right? It's like yeah. Donnie walking away, the picture ends. We we've resolved everything. So yeah. I mean that's that's the movie overall. Once again, we don't want to give a whole lot of spoilers, but we do encourage you to go see it. It may be too late to see it in theaters at this point, not because ah, it, it was like three yeah. weeks ago that I. It is. It but is it, too late. It, it, no, I, I mean, it is at least in Los Angeles, but it's still no, playing. I mean, unless, no, unless it pops up. But what it's going to say is uh, it's coming out on the Haya app yeah, in exactly. uh, October, right? Yep. So that's what I was going to say. Haya will be releasing it, which pretty much they have an exclusive deal with Wellgo USA, which is it seems, which is perfect. And then it'll get a Blu-ray release. This might be one I buy on Blu-ray uh, just because I enjoyed it so much. And if it has special features, I'd love to see them. But uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Once again, I went and saw it twice and I hardly ever go see a movie twice intentionally. Occasionally, it's like the element where maybe I, for example, when I saw The Kingsman in Thailand by myself and I wanted Jessica to see it, so we went to go see it together, or yeah. you know, I've seen a movie or we're with a group and then they wanna to go to the movies and it's like, all right, I'll watch it again, whatever. But over the years, there's very few movies I've chosen to go see twice. Uh, Kiss of the Dragon is one. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. And then uh, the transporter, just because at that time, like I hadn't really seen anything like that in American cinema. So transporter was first and then kiss of the dragon. I definitely went and saw it twice. Uh, those are, to be honest with you, those might be the only two that I purposely went and saw twice in theaters, like with the intention of, I just have to watch that movie again. So now raging fire is part of that special list. You, you know what we need to do? Uh, so we're, we're at one point, we're going to return to making a list of like rainy day movies mm-hmm. uh, or like uh, guilty pleasure movies. We should do a, a list of uh, of movies worth, worthy to see twice in the theater. Mm. A list like that. Um, uh, do you have any anything else on Raging Fire? Because well, I had a couple of wrap up items that I wanted to bring up with you. OK, well, let's let's first. What's your overall grade for the movie? Uh, you know what? I've always been hard on my grades, uh, so I'm going to give this an A minus. That you know what? That's what I suspected because I'm giving it an A. I'm giving it a solid A, ninety five percent. Because uh, I was just 
very happy. I, I had what? no criticisms. Uh, not like, well, they should have done this different. I was just so happy with the movie we got. And I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'm gonna qu- uh, quantify my A minus. My A minus is not on the on the subgenre or cult genre or within Hong Kong films or with straight to video. This is like overall all film grade A minus because nice. this 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 breaks out of any like uh, quantifying grading that maybe we would give to Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I like that. Uh, no, and yeah, I would stand by my A too in that same sense. Uh, just because anyone and obviously I'm sure Wellgo USA has actually done a pretty good job of, I think, dubbing movies also. So there will be a dub version. But watch watch the original Cantonese. And that was another great thing. We got it in Cantonese where a lot of times we're getting these films dubbed in Mandarin, even when they come out here. So that was great, too. Uh, so what are your final closing thoughts you want so to my, say? So one thing is uh, I had some feedback from one of our families. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Duffy family, uh, Owen and. Owen and Selena Duffy, I believe, sometimes listen to the podcast. They asked, uh, they asked me the other day for a film recommendation. I told them check out Paper Tigers on uh, yes on Netflix. Yes, uh, Selena uh, went out after watching that film and started thanking all her old like kung, martial art masters. And then uh, both uh, Selena and Owen came by the office and delivered us, and I'll, I'll share it with you, uh, a the recipe for their old jowl. Ooh, which is like the, the healing remedy. Yeah. So they're like, thank you very much for this film. And as here, here's like, so that's like the best fan email we could or letter we could ever receive. I love it. So thank, thank you for you. that. Thank you. Uh, so also we got two martial art films in the theaters right now. One is uh, choreographed by Brad Allen, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Shang-Chi. And then uh, also Protégé with Maggie Q and, and Michael Keaton. I uh, how now, do you feel about that? I've now seen both of them. Oh, you have. I went oh, and saw yeah. Shang-Chi last night. We'll, okay. we, we're going to have to do an episode on it. Uh, Thank you. I'm going to watch it this week. No spoilers, but let's just say this. I was not disappointed. Excellent. Which and, you saw I, Prote- I, and I saw the Protégé. Loved should the Protégé. You should watch excellent. that too. Protégé was very much. excellent. As I said, the third act falters a little bit, but otherwise fantastic. Uh, Martin Campbell is one of my favorite directors and I didn't even know he directed okay. until afterwards. And so that's why I was like, man, I love this movie. Who directed it? I'm like, duh. But... And I saw yeah. Shang-Chi last night, uh, was not disappointed at all. Uh, Excellent. And so and that's a huge shocker. And so you should, we're definitely gonna do an episode on Shang-Chi. I'm not going to say anything else uh, at okay. this point. I don't want to spoil it for you, but have, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no please. You, I'm done. Go ahead. Okay. Have you seen a uh, Kringle time yet? <laughs> no, I believe it was playing exclusively in the Los Angeles area. It and, certainly was. Uh, and, uh, we, we, we should, you know what, uh, we appreciate the films of Mr. Wincott. Uh, you obviously have a little more experience with him than I, but over the years you've pushed me to watch a lot more of his movies. Uh, you know, cause originally obviously I'd seen martial law, uh, two, uh, martial outlaw. Uh, but, uh, I would love to have him on the show. Uh, wouldn't it be great? And it'd be very I, special. You know, I, I will send him this podcast episode and say, Hey, here's, 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 here's what we do. Maybe you like it. Maybe you love it and maybe you want to come on. But I, I have to say, so this this last week, I went to an independent film uh, festival, Dance with Film, uh, saw the saw the film Kringle Time, which I watched the trailer and I'm like, OK, this is like a dark kind of like a dark comedy, uh, maybe an indie lower budget version of The Joker. And I got to tell you, the comedy was much better than I anticipated. Mm. Uh, and the darkness went darker. And so it was it was 
it's something that independent films can do that mainstream uh, doesn't get to do. And by going darker and having the comedy is a great balance. Uh, Jeff Wincott actually did handle a lot of the comedy and also happy to say he had a sledgehammer in his hand and broke through a door. So it kind of got a little yeah. action tease there. But I mean, what I really liked about this film is they had, uh, they had some gr they, great casting that again you know usually you would you wouldn't see necessarily in in mainstream film and it was just it was great to see this the the casting fun film but most importantly i gotta tell you i had a great time such a pleasure meeting uh mr wincott as i as i called him when i first saw him and i had you know speaking of putting a pin in it uh about action films from the 90s being released not just for that immediate market but for the world I had a I had a VHS that I picked up in at a Japanese video store, uh, Martial Law Two Undercover in Japan. It was just released undercover, and uh, I had it with me. And uh, Jeff was, uh, if I can call him Jeff, was happy to sign it. Uh, and then we uh, started chatting about uh, films. Uh, started chatting about his his career a little bit, and then uh, we went over to uh, the green carpet, not the red carpet, because uh, we are we are in a we're you know green. It's yeah. A, you know, message. Yeah. So took a great uh, took a great photo on the on the green carpet, uh, and I I don't know. Very, you know, we've, we've talked about this meeting Richard Norton. We've both met him meeting yeah. like Samo, the other martial arts stars we've met. There is something about the, the movie stars that have either been in martial art films or, or, or have martial arts in their background that are just, uh, I don't know, I don't know if humble is the right word, but are just so, uh, present with, with their audience. And it was really great to, to have a, have a conversation that was present. And, you know, I, I like to respect, uh, you know, stars and, and actors time, but he, he prolonged the conversation. I really appreciated that. So we had a nice in-depth conversation. So cool, man. So oh, cool. Because especially being yeah. such a fan of his work for so long and then getting to meet him and him being so awesome. As I said, nine times out of 10 with our martial arts movie stars we've grown up watching, like B movie stars, that's the case. Like, you know, our teammate Herman always likes to give me uh, crap because he, as he says, I'll fanboy out over people. But as I always joke, I'm like, if Brad Pitt walked up, I would not give a crap. Like, I'd be like, oh, cool, Brad Pitt. Or if it just happened and I was right next to him, I'd be like, oh, what's up, Mr. Pitt? Cool. But like, then it's people like Jeff Wincott, if I ran into it, I'd be like, oh my God, what's up? Because it's just, you know, these are the people we grew up kind of idolizing in a sense. And then when they yeah. end up being so humble and down to earth, it's just always a pleasure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in many ways, yeah, it's great to meet it's great to meet the big movie stars of this world. And some of them are, are like tr tremendous artists, but there's also something to be said about these action stars because in many ways they put their, uh, okay, maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, but they kind of put their lives on the line with the stunts that they yeah. do for us. And particularly when we're talking about slightly lower budget films, when they're not like with, with all the stunt doubles, they, they have to deliver the project and they deliver it with heart, grit and, and honestly their bodies. Yeah, and so, anybody that was in a PM Entertainment movie was definitely near an exploding car flying through the air. So right there, <laughs> yes. you're right there. You're already uh, uh, putting your life on the line. So any final closing thoughts? Uh, great, like I've had a great three weeks of movie watching. Yes. Thanks to your visit, yes. started with uh, started with Raging Fire. Went, I've been, I've, it's going to end tonight with uh, going to see Jet Li's The Master with Marvin. Then I'm probably going to take a couple weeks off from going to movies because you know I, I have to be. Uh, have to get enough sleep to do work properly, but uh, 
Uh, it's been, it's been a fun run with movies, and I obviously I got two more movies I got to watch. So what am I talking about? I got to watch uh, Protege and Shang Chi. So there you go, there you go. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your take on Shang Chi. Maybe that will be our next next episode if you see it soon enough. But otherwise, we'll be recording soon. And once again, we apologize about the couple week delay there. We are back on track now. Uh, now that we're in the groove of things, so you will hear from us soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends about us. And on that note, I will say uh, adios to you, amigo. Adios. All right. Peace, baby.